It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Welcome to another edition of Raptors Pod Table Podcast. I am your host, Carlin Gay, and I'm pleased to be joined by a guy who I can genuinely call an expert. He is an expert in the draft field. He's going to be covering the draft for us at NBA.com. Uh, he also covers the Florida Gators for Gator County, Mr. Eric Fawcett. Eric, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, thanks for you know giving us all the time in the world here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I mean, I cannot get enough basketball talk right now uh, in, in what feels like, you know, the desert of uh, of hoops content. But, uh, uh, man, I just uh, I, I don't think I'm ever going to take a single basketball game for granted because of uh, because <laughs> of how much I'm missing it right now. Uh, but I just couldn't be happier to uh, to be on with you talking some hoops. So, uh, so thanks for having me. It, last season, you covered the draft for us at NBA.com as well. You and Kyle Irving uh, are 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 kind of our our draft experts going back and forth and all throughout the season there was names popping up from last year's draft that Kyle said Eric told me about this guy uh you know Eric said that this guy would be a sleeper uh mainly you hit it out the park on the Golden State Warrior rookie uh that ended up making it to the uh to the rookie sophomore game this season of course Villanova's own Eric Pascal who uh who had a great rookie season uh right now it's in the pause but he, he looks like he's going to be on the all rookie team uh, you know Kyle gave you all the credit in the world for for pointing him out and saying that he could be someone that could contribute to the NBA level yeah he's one that uh, you know it's it's kind of funny when you look at some of the players that uh that kind of jumped off the page as as sleepers last year I, I mean uh, you, you know, we're all we're all you know comfortable with the Raptors here. You see with Terrence Davis, uh, you, it's the same thing with Eric uh, Pascal. It's like uh, you can look at them as this you know sleeper hiding uh, behind all the hype of of guys that were kind of expected to be better pros. But it's also like, hey, let's look at what the production they had in college. So uh, you know, Terrence Davis was a guy who was an incredible basketball player in an incredible SEC. Uh, and uh, you look at Pascal and, you know, he played at Big East, he played at Villanova, who is like role player you with how they just keep pumping out, you know, fourth and fifth starters, first guys off the bench. And uh, so when you see that a guy uh, is kind of like next in the line of, of a bunch of really, really good role players that came from Villanova, uh, I, I think that's what kind of also, in addition to what I saw from him, made me think like, hey, this guy is legit. But uh, when I look at the NBA game, it, it, when I look at uh, what what the role is of, of a role player. Uh, you've got to make shots with your feet set. Uh, that's something he did extremely well. And uh, you've got to know what to do when you get the ball. And he's someone who uh, really just like knows that, Hey, he's not going to try to take guys off the dribble. He's not going to uh, try to go post up like he did a little bit in college. He, he's someone who uh, used the transferable parts of his game uh, from college and, and brought it to the NBA. And uh, just by kind of a, uh, eliminating any of the potential faults not not doing anything that's uh, that's beyond his uh, physical capabilities I, I just think he's such like a a, a safe and responsible player and uh, you go to an organization that's uh, uh, that's really quality and has had success for a number of years obviously not this year uh, but I could see why they'd be interested because he's a he's a guy who doesn't make mistakes he plays within himself uh, and I could see why they'd be interested interested in him as a role player um, of course in this last year he's had to be a little bit more than that given uh, given how things turned 
for them. But uh, yeah, I, I just think it's really I'm really happy for him, too, because he's someone who started his college career at Fordham. Uh, a really small school in the Northeast that uh, uh, does. Uh, I'm gonna. I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't their first alumni in the NBA. So, uh, yeah, really proud of his story. Yeah, no question about it. He's uh, he's one of your claims to fames right now in NBA.com. Last year, you really knocked it out of the park by looking at him. Not many people were looking at him as a guy that could contribute. Uh, so let's look at this year's crop that and. I say that knowing that the loud noise and every time I talk to people about this draft, people constantly call it a weak draft, a a draft that just doesn't have the top-end talent. There's no Zion Williamson in this draft, Uh, but there's still some pretty good players, and I got the sense of that uh, from your big board on NBA.com. You can go over there and read it right now. Top 60 players in this upcoming draft. Number one right now for your money, a guy you saw plenty of in the SEC, Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Why is he at the top of the list right now uh, for your big board? I think you've got to look at what is the most premium NBA skill right now. And I know some people, when you hear that, the first thing you might think is shooting. Um, I certainly understand that. Uh, but when you uh, when you look at what like really the best players in the NBA are, what is the most premium skill that the fewest number of, of players have? It's the ability to make plays in space and uh, to be able to create advantage situations. It's the ability to get past your man one-on-one. Uh, when you look at a lot of players in the last 10 years of NBA basketball and you look through the draft and you see how players develop, Uh, There are players who were really good defenders but couldn't shoot the ball uh, that were able to develop a three-point shot. Uh, There were offensive players that were uh, really talented when it came to scoring but didn't defend a lick in college. But uh, they learned how to defend playing in an NBA program. But if if you don't have that flash, if you don't have that quick first step to beat a guy one-on-one, uh, you're probably not going to develop it in, at the at the highest level in the NBA. So when I see Anthony Edwards, I see someone who's just impossible to stay in front of in space. Uh, someone who's built so uh, so well with a long wingspan at six foot five. Uh, he's someone who looks a little bit like Donovan Mitchell, except except Donovan Mitchell, you know, is maybe generously listed at six three. I think he was like six two when he measured at the combine. Uh, but Anthony Edwards is like legit six five. Uh, so he's got great size at the position. Uh, he looks physically ready. He's incredibly athletic. And uh, I, I just see his ability to make plays uh, on the perimeter with at such a great size. Uh, and I just think that like that is a player who, uh, you know, you'd like to see him smooth out his jump shot a little bit. But uh, uh, when you look at what he can do, uh, I just think that he uh, he becomes the most talented player for me at uh with, with totally uh, totally legitimate size and i just see him totally as my kind of unquestioned number one on my board he averaged 19.1 points per game uh in his one and only season at georgia 5.2 rebounds assists under three uh and he did shoot under 30 percent from three-point range you said he has to kind of smooth out the jump shot a little bit i think that's where most people are going to be looking at sort of red flags for edwards is that a cause of concern or something that GM should be worried about when they're taking Edwards in consideration? For me, no. One, uh, you just look at his form, and it's certainly not broken. He has a good jumper. Uh, when you look at uh, look at the mechanics, he keeps his elbow in, gets his elbow up, and uh, it's a straight-looking jumper. And uh, when you look at his catch-and-shoot attempts, he actually was a much better three-point shooter than his, than his average would suggest. Uh, what, uh, what the problem for him was is that he played on a team that was not very good, uh, was very young with a new coach, and uh, he was obviously the star player. And that meant every time the shot clock started to wind down, the ball is an average. 
the Edwards hands. Uh, anytime that they uh, needed a big bucket, the, the ball was in his hands. So he hit some big shots. Uh, but at the end of some shot clocks, when he was forced to create something with three seconds left or, or something like that, there, there was a whole lot of step back attempts uh, that were pretty nasty from 30 feet. And, and he had to take a lot of tough shots. But if you actually look at um, uh, kind of like, let's look at the shots he's, he's going to be taking in the NBA, uh, whether it's just catch and shoot or whether it's, hey, he comes off a screen and, uh, and his defender sits under it and he can uh, step into a three-point shot. Uh, I, I think I feel a lot more comfortable with it. And uh, there's some players that, yeah, you, when you see under 30%, you, you've got to be pretty horrified. There's there's no question. But when you actually look at his form and you look at the shots he was taking, uh, I think that that number definitely looks a lot worse. And uh, while I don't ever project he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA or, or anything like that, uh, it's hard for me to imagine he's not like a league average shooter at least. You said the name Donovan Mitchell, and over on NBA.com, our, our Kyle Irving actually has a comparison, a one-play comparison between Edwards and Donovan Mitchell. And uh, now you guys are both two people who have heard the name Donovan Mitchell sort of mentioned. Do you see him sort of having the same impact as a rookie that Donovan Mitchell had in his first year, uh, or is it all depending on where he ends up? I do see that same impact. Uh, and, and one thing, again, that was just so impressive about Donovan Mitchell's ability to do that uh, was the fact that he's not uh, he's not a player with like above average size at his position. He actually has below average size at his position if you look at him as a you know shooting guard or a combo guard. Uh, but then you look at Anthony Edwards and, you know, he's six, five, he's two fifteen. He looks like he was chiseled out of granite. He's got a long wingspan. And uh, when I see that kind of physical readiness, I, I, I'm expecting him to have have a big impact. Uh, and it's just hard when, uh, like, again, when you see how well he can make sp- uh, plays in space, how good he is in transition, uh, on the assumption he's going to get number get picked number one to a team that's uh, that wasn't great and needs an infusion of talent, he's going to have a primary role, and I think he's totally ready for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned the uh, the Donovan Mitchell comparison because I, I love that video. Uh, I love that comparison, and I, I think it's totally. I think it's a really good one. So, uh, you know, you look at Donovan Mitchell, but a, a few inches taller, uh, a, a lot longer, and and you know that similar kind of muscle structure. Uh, yeah, you can see why. You know, I, he's probably positioned to to have a big impact as a rookie. Donovan Mitchell in his rookie season averaged 20 points per game, became an all-star in his third year in the NBA. That was this past season. It'd be interesting to see how Anthony Edwards does pan out, depending on where he goes in the draft. And number two, at number two rather, on your big board, LaMelo Ball, uh, probably the most polarizing player in the entire 2020 draft class, uh, had some decent numbers in terms of counting stats uh, overseas in the NBL in Australia, 17 points, six assists, seven rebounds. His shooting, uh, abysmal. I mean, under 40% from the field, 25% from three. I think a lot of the people that I spoke to in Australia you know, had a big question mark in terms of his jump shot. You said Anthony Edwards' jump shot's not broken. Well, LaMelo Balls could be considered broken. The form just isn't an NBA smooth release. He's never going to be accused of being a J.J. Redick. But uh, in saying all that, he does have tools to kind of produce and, and can play at the NBA levels. No question about that. He's proved that he could play at the pro level. But what do you, where do you kind of foresee him uh, now playing at the highest of levels uh, in the world? 
Yeah, I never think he's going to be a, a great jump shooter. Uh, he's got that kind of two-hand release uh, where he's kind of pushing the ball with two hands. And uh, he was someone when, you know, he was 13 and 14 years old and you, you saw clips of him on the internet shooting shots from 36 feet. And when you're that small and that young to, to get the ball propelled that far, you're, you're going to need to shoot the ball with two hands. And uh, I, I think that that poor form back then has kind of continued to what it looks like right now. And uh, while you think or you should hope that he would definitely improve on that, uh, being with an NBA team, uh, it's just it's a little bit of a stretch to think he might be a, a good NBA shooter. But but what he can do uh, is really score around the hoop with his length and with his creativity. I, I definitely think he's the most creative scorer in this draft. And uh, I think that that's something that can be a little bit overlooked when you're looking at uh, in kind of past drafts where people are looking for um, explosive athletes and and guys that can play above the rim and and, and just uh, uh, finish strong in, in those kind of ways. But I think creativity is is a little bit lost in some of those things. And uh, when you see LaMelo Ball, someone who comes off a screen, uh, feels a defender on his hip and uh, knows how to use his eyes to look off help defenders, knows how to take a half bounce back so that he can get his defender uh, stunting towards him so he can attack him off a bad foot. Uh, he's got so much craft to his game. And uh, I think that some people have been a little bit slow to realize that because, uh, you know, he's had his, he's had his haters and uh, for, for, for good reasons or wrong reasons, uh, he's had some guys who have not wanted to look upon him fairly. And I, I think when they think about his game, they think of a guy who's, you know, just bombing up threes from just past half court. But there really is a, a lot of savvy and I'll even say intelligence to the way that he approaches the game offensively. Uh, but he is prone to, you know, terrible shot selection at times to to not trying defensively uh, to yeah, continuing to take three point shots, even though they aren't falling for him. Uh, I think at the NBA level, he's he'll he'll realize what works, what gets him on the floor, and and what doesn't. I could certainly see why teams would be uh, would be a little gun shy to draft him high in this in this draft. But uh, the offensive creativity he has is uh, uh, is really unlike anyone else in the draft. You say it. You say it, when you're describing Lamella, I hear a lot of things that should be red flags for a lot of GMs. Doesn't want to try <laughs> off defensively. Has a broken jump shot. Uh, has bad habits. But yet he's still, and, and not just on your board, on a lot of boards, he's either one, two, or three. Uh, why is he that high? Is it more to do with his upside or more to do with the fact that this draft is just, I mean, talent poor? Yeah, talent poor is a, is a huge part of it. I mean, if he was in last year's draft, I could see him not being in the top 10, quite frankly. And because there isn't a lot of talent in this draft, I think there's going to be teams that are more likely to want to take that home run swing uh, go for the boomer bus guy and uh, man i don't know if there's ever a boomer bus guy guys uh, who could fit that title as much as Lamelo ball uh but the other thing to think about too is is you know a lot of people look at Lamelo ball and say like hey we, we think he's gonna score but he's might be the worst defensive player in the nba like uh no team wants that uh it, it seems like every year there are players like that where teams are like well he can score but he's not going to defend so so i'm not interested but you look every year in the NBA and guys who can score find big roles on teams. And it just never seems to uh, it never seems to stop teams from from wanting the Zach Levines, the Trey Young's guy. Like it's like if you if you really can score at an NBA level, uh, you're going to have a primary role. The teams can build around you to insulate you defensively. So, of course, you know, like the names I said, Zach Levine, one of the best scorers in the league and Trey Young, one of the best scoring players in the league. Um, you've got to be, you know, something like that good to be. 
uh, for teams to be willing to to say like, hey, yeah, we'll we'll build around you defensively and, and insulate you there. Uh, but uh, yeah, if there's if there's a player in the draft that that's going to fill that kind of like. Zach Levine or, or, or Trey Young kind of role where uh, they might get, you know, 20 points and, and, and 13 assists, but give up close to that on the other end, it's, it might be LaMelo Ball. <laughs> Imagine him in Atlanta playing next to Trey Young or in <laughs> Chicago playing next to Zach Levine. Uh, fans of those two teams are uh, shuddering to think what could be uh, from this year's draft. Uh, here's a guy that does play a little bit of defense, James Wiseman. He's in your top four. Uh, and a guy that we saw, I mean, if you blinked, you missed his entire college career, had a lot of issues <laughs> in terms of what happened with him off, on and off the court. Uh, the season was ended up being a wash anyway, so it really wasn't a harm or foul to, to Memphis as a whole. But he came to Memphis as a number one rated player in the country in terms of uh, high school player. And, you know, there was a lot of buzz about James Wiseman, 7'1", 240, a guy that really can move like a guard. What do you see his role being, uh, or did you even see enough of him at a college level to get a sense of what this guy could be at the next? Uh, when it comes to James Wiseman, I, I don't think anyone can can say that they saw enough of him at the college level because, uh, like you said, it, it was a blip. It was a blink. So uh, for him, you've got to look at what he did with USA Basketball uh, with his high school team and, and playing on one of the best AAU teams in the country. So uh, luckily in 2020, or for him, I guess, uh, you know, 2019, when uh, we're at the point where it's just so easy to find film of these guys going back to their even their you know sophomore or junior years of high school. Uh, but for him, like, first of all, like the, the way he kind of moves and, and the way he works defensively, he looks a lot like Rudy Gobert and uh, something that's uh, that's really noticeable. And this was noticeable when he was on the floor for his brief time in college is uh, he just really does look massive out there. Yet he really looks comfortable switching onto a guard. And, you know, as much as you look at the NBA game and you see uh, you see players that are, you know, six foot ten, six foot eleven, seven feet or beyond. Uh, whenever you see Rudy Gobert out there, he still looks like much larger than than anyone else, much longer than anyone else out there. And that's kind of James Wiseman, who also has the same kind of similar measurables. And uh, that that's um that would be some that would be definitely the player comparison I would make just because of what he can do defensively. And he really has shown desire on that end. Uh, but offensively, he's someone who uh, who really wants to be the you know step out and take a few threes, catch the ball at the the free throw line and take a few dribbles and and make a spin move to his left hand, uh, kind of like Joel Embiid. So uh, those are some of the the names that I'll throw out. And I mean, those are you know two really good centers in in the league, the league, the perhaps the two best there is. But uh, it, it is it, one of the things that just has to be considered is you know like where do you value taking a, a center this high in the draft? Uh, in 2020, it's really tough to see what teams are going to uh, make that a priority if they've got the number three or the number four or five pick. Uh, or do they say like, hey, it's just uh, we're, we're not getting great value with our pick number if we take a center. So uh, I, I was going to ask you about that. I was interested in your take. How do, how do you view uh where teams should value a center in a draft like this. I mean, at this point, uh, you know, if your center can't shoot the three, it's tough. It's really tough to, to, mm-hmm. to you know, justify taking him. If, you, if he's not going to be able to provide floor spacing, then you're you're signing up for a guy that's probably going to be a career-long bench player unless his defense is that elite, like a Rudy Gobert uh, or, you know, I, I, I like into, you know, right now, and I know my boy Scott Rathby out there listening, he, he, you know, if you're not from the Brooke Lopez mole of centers at the moment, <laughs> and that's a, that's a bar that I think is achievable for a lot of 
athletically big college players, if they can get to the point where they're a threat from three-point range, and don't go look up Brook Lopez's uh, three-point percentage because it's awful this season, but he's still a threat from out there, and he's still one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. James Wiseman could absolutely, athleticism-wise, can be that, but if he can also provide you some offense and, and, and smart offense and efficient offense, then he's going to be not only just a starter, but a guy that's really coveted that's going to make you know max money down the line. So, um, you know, I, I didn't see enough of him in college, but from, from you know, talking to guys like yourself and other, you know, uh, scouts from around the league, uh, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, Wiseman has the potential to have that three and D capabilities from the center position, which not many people generally have. And again, this draft, not the deepest in terms of talent. So if you take a guy that's seven foot, can walk, chew gum, play a little defense, you, you might as well get him. Yeah, and something that needs to be considered too is, is I mean, he's someone who I do think could could start in the NBA easily next year. So uh, even if you don't see him as uh, as a you know a future star because very few centers turn into be stars, uh, you still could say like, hey, I think we could start him every game next year, and he's going to be on a cost controlled rookie contract. And I think that that's that's going to kind of matter to some teams who say like, hey, uh, we could have already maybe like a top fifteen center, top ten center. Uh, but we have him at a much smaller number than if we had to go get that guy in, on free agency. So, uh, yeah, I really do think he has some some Rudy Gobert defensive uh, capabilities. I, I just hope that uh, he's someone who's maybe content being someone close to Rudy Gobert who uh, is comfortable being in the corner and taking a couple three-point shots, uh, but isn't going to be the Joel Embiid where he needs to get the ball in the block and, and pound it six or seven times and and make a move because uh, we did see a, a little bit of that hero ball in, in his short time in college and as well with USA Basketball where uh, he was playing with the most talented, like playing with USA Basketball, he's playing with uh, the most talented team out there, uh, great shooters, great players all around him, and, and the ball stuck a little bit where uh, where he was in the post trying to uh, trying to you know back his guy down and uh, and do something fancy down there. So so for him it's just going to be like hey uh, can can he be uh, one of the best defensive centers in the league who who spaces the floor or is he going to be someone who tries to play like Joel Embiid because if he tries to play like Joel Embiid uh, he's got to essentially be Joel Embiid offensively because as we know in the analytics age if he's even five percent. L- less efficient on post-ups than someone like Joel Embiid, uh, well, then it's an inefficient shot, and coaches aren't going to like that. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, by the way, no small sample size again. In his three games in college, he took one three-pointer, so we didn't get to see enough there, and had one assist in the three games, so did not get <laughs> enough uh, you know, sample size in terms of those two things. Uh, Obi Toppin, we got a good sample size of what he could bring to the table. This is a guy who's really a pogo stick at that size, uh, and has some highlight reel sort of dunks and could get out in transition. But what can he bring to the NBA? Because everyone's going to be just as athletic and just as big as he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, what he brings is really shooting. And and I know some people are going to look at those, uh, look at some of the highlights of him, just like putting guys into the rim. Like he had some in- incredible dunks in transition. Uh, some incredible dunks. Like, like there's this one uh, that I'm sure, you know, anyone who's seen Obi Toppin Hides will see where he got the ball in the post, took one dribble on a drop step and just dunked it over top. And it looked like, you know, it looked like a dad dunking on his six-year-old kid on the driveway. <laughs> it was, he, he really has that explosiveness. Uh, but I know this is going to come across as like a, a little crazy after I say this, but I actually don't think he's 
a great athlete. I think he's extremely explosive, but I don't actually think he's a great functional athlete. He, he doesn't have great hip flexibility. He has high hips and I, I don't think he changes direction super well. And, uh, when you I, I wouldn't say he's a fluid athlete. I would say his fluidity is, is very below average from an NBA standpoint. So, um, I, I would caution some people from, from looking at his dunks and say like, Hey, this is a, a plus athlete. Uh, I think he's very explosive and there's, there's definitely a time for that. Uh, but I think when you look at him, you've got to look at his shooting and say like, Hey, here's a guy that's six foot nine, uh, could be, uh, could be at center easily or, or play the four and, and shoot the ball near 40%. And I think he's got a great stroke with, with great elevation. And, uh, he's also someone who, uh, has a great pump fake and can really put the ball on the floor. And, and we, when he gets those advantage situations, he's uh, a really underrated passer. Like is he someone who didn't put up like great assist numbers or anything like that, but he was someone who, uh, got the ball swung to him, pump faked into the air, uh, got by a defender, took two dribbles, saw help, made the right read. That guy go, go, got closed out too, and he swung the ball, uh, and he got a hockey assist. He got a second assist. And, and uh, I, I just see him working so comfortably and, and so fluidly in an NBA offense. Uh, I, I, think he, I really think he's probably the most easily projectable guy in this draft. Uh, just because I, I think he's going to be like a seven to 10 year starter just because he's someone who can rebound his position. I, I think he's a solid defender, not an elite defender, but a solid defender. And then he's going to knock down a ton of threes. And it's just so easy to see. Like, like if you were to say like, hey, what team would he best fit on? I would say any team because any team could use a guy who could play the four or the five and uh, and knock down threes near 40 percent and uh, also have the occasional poster dunk or uh, or huge block shot when he gets up in the air. So uh, probably not someone who has like like I, I never see him as a star, truthfully, but I see him as a very safe pick and uh, and someone who's yeah, going to start in the league for a long time. Yes or no. Is he the least the least bustable player in this draft? Absolutely. Yes. OK. Obi Toppin, you heard it here first right here on the Raptors Pot Table Podcast. Here's a guy that's international uh, with the international flavor and a guy that's in the top five of your big board, Denny Adiva. Uh, he's going to be 19 by the time he comes to the NBA. He played pro for Maccabi Tel Aviv in uh, in Israel. Uh, I saw him at Basketball Without Borders in at the All-Star Game in Charlotte, uh, and he dominated. He, he, was, he was clearly a pro. Uh, you, you felt that he was playing way above the talent pool that was on the floor at the time, and he really stood out. I mean, he, he just had a feel for the game, uh, and, and I know his numbers and Maccabi weren't, aren't going to jump off the page, but it, he, he's a young kid that's playing on a team with full of men that, that you still have to kind of take that with a grain of salt, but... When you look at the tape on him, you can see that he has a great basketball instincts for a guy that's that young. And the fact that he played with men for the last two years, I mean, I give them the, a little bit of the edge there that he could turn out to be probably the best player in this class in five years' time. Where do you land on Denny? Yeah, he definitely has that potential, and and something you mentioned how he just turned nineteen, so it's not like uh, it's not like you're getting a finished product with him. You're getting someone who's still going to get better and better and better. And something you mentioned, I mean, playing at Maccabi Tel Aviv, I mean, that's one of the best teams that's not in the NBA in the world. That he's playing on a great basketball team, so I uh, play great competition. So I don't look at his numbers and. Uh, and you know, it certainly doesn't concern me that he wasn't lighting up that that league. That would be ridiculous for a player of his his age. And uh, something I really love about him is just that he he really breaks the mold of what I think a lot of people's expectation is of, of European players. 
because he really is someone who is, uh, and he's even pretty thin and he's, uh, you know, six foot eight to 210 pounds, but he's really physical when he guards. And, uh, and at six foot eight, he's, he's a really, he's a plus defender. And I think a lot of players look at these, um, long wings coming out of Europe and you think of them as, uh, you know, smooth offensive guys, but you don't often think about them as, as being stoppers defensively. And he's someone who I think will be a stopper defensively. So even just like uh, for his ability on, on the de- defensive end to, uh, to guard anyone on the floor, to really intelligent defender for a young player, uh, playing on, again, playing in a really good league, he had to learn complex defensive schemes. And, uh, you also see like the way that they play in that league. Like he was playing a full court press. He was playing zones. He was playing man to man defense. Like he had to play a lot of styles defensively and was adaptable and was really good in all of them. So uh, I see his defense and I, I'm really impressed. But then also, I, just like you mentioned, uh, on the offensive end, he has such a great feel for the game. And uh, he's another player where he's six foot eight, but is is someone who you probably want using ball screens and being one of your, your primary creators and, and initiators. So, uh, I, you know, I mentioned that LaMelo Ball is, is the most creative player in this draft offensively. Uh, that's definitely true, but, but Denny's not too far behind. And uh, so a team that is really intrigued by LaMelo Ball uh, if you miss out on him, but you get Denny and and he's, you know, a little bit less creative, but similar creative, except you don't have any questions about him on the defensive end because, you know, he's going to be really good there. Uh, yeah, you're going to be really excited drafting him. And, and, you know, you mentioned, hey, maybe this is the guy that ends up being the best player of the draft. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, no question about it. Let's stay let's stay out uh, internationally and talk about a guy uh, named Killian Hayes and, and I. Uh, you know, doing some of the FIBA stuff that I do, have been hearing a little bit about Killian for for a little while now, and uh, he's a guy. He's French, uh, you know, a guy that played in the French domestic league two years, and then finally made the big jump to Germany to play for Hatafam Um uh, in the Euro Cup this season, and his numbers actually skyrocketed uh, from what from what his production was in France. Uh, kind of sort of solidifying some of the hype that he's been getting out in Europe. He's now ready to make the big jump to the NBA. But I still have questions about him uh, because, well, mainly A, I didn't see much of him play. And B, anytime I hear a lot about a certain player from especially a lot of him from guys in Europe that, you know, have followed him at a young age and, and they really sort of hype him up, they tend to overhype some of their players. So uh, where do you sit on on uh, Killian Hayes who, who had this season uh, in the Euro Cup? Uh, well, I've really enjoyed watching him play. He's he's definitely someone who plays with a lot of joy, and is also someone who, at, at six foot five, is always the like fastest player on the floor. It feels in, in everything I've seen. So, uh, so he's also just a blur in transition, which you normally see from point guards who are you know six foot or, or six foot one, and he seems just as fast at six foot five. But uh, something that I think is is uh, is really interesting that you alluded to is that. Uh, you know, he looked good in France, but then he went to a much better league in Germany and actually his numbers got a lot better. That was uh, that was something that was really encouraging, I, I feel, is because uh, the French league has produced a lot of really athletic wing players these last few drafts. But um, a lot of them kind of struggled to, to fit into the NBA system. Uh, and just haven't looked entirely comfortable. But but something I really liked about Killian Hayes is that uh, when you surrounded him with better players, uh, he he really elevated his game and knew how to make those players around him you know better and and was comfortable playing in, in more structured basketball. 
uh, where the, you know, the French league is just full of like a ton of athletes and, uh, and they really run and gun and it's, it's super fun to watch, but, uh, it's can be a little tough to know how those guys are going to translate to, uh, to the NBA. So to see Killian Hayes be able to, uh, go play in Germany, uh, and, and go play in a much more structured style. And, and it actually made him, made him look a lot better. Uh, I thought that was really impressive because he still has the athleticism and the speed that, that we saw in the French league. Uh, but suddenly he, he knows how to make the right path, the, the right plays with the basketball. Uh, and, and he knows how to play within a structure. And, uh, for him, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit concerned with him as, uh, as someone who doesn't really shoot the ball very well. Uh, because Hey, as much as I really like a lot of the elements of his game, when you look at primary ball handlers in this league and you look at point guards, uh, start naming off the best ones in the league and, and you've got to go pretty low until you find one that uh, that's a really good passer, but can't really shoot the ball very well. Uh, it, it's just, you know, in recent history it has been tough for those guys to, to be super effective. So uh, definitely some, some concerns when it comes to uh, when it comes to shooting. And also he, uh, he's someone who, uh, yeah, was able to, uh, uh, to play pretty well within, within the kind of structure of an offense and, and make really good passes. But uh, I, I just wonder if he is a great enough, a good enough individual score. Like if he comes off a ball screen, uh, when you look at the way NBA teams kind of handle those things, uh, the guy with the ball in his hands has to be a threat to score, or they're just going to drop their big man like Brooke Lopez in the paint. Uh, they're, everyone's going to stay at home at shooters, and they're going to say like, "Hey, go and try to score over the top of Brooke Lopez, or uh, pull up for a mid-range jumper," which you know every defense is going to be happy with. Uh, so I, I think he needs some work there just to to become a little bit more of a threat of a score. So. So the teams are are going to be you know rotating over on him when he starts driving downhill. So so he can really demonstrate that kind of passing ability. Yeah, he, he he. I mean, he reminds me too much of Frank Nilakina to be honest with you. That uh, <laughs> you know, great Frank is a great defender. I just don't know that you know I, I, he, I'll ever see him be a starting point guard uh, in the NBA. Uh, we started this conversation talking about the top, right at the top, talking about how you hit on Eric Pascal. Um, who would who is the sleeper from this year's draft? I mean, it, it, people are going to be looking for them, uh, especially with the fact that you're you're not having the Zion's or the R.J. Barrett's coming into uh, or, or 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 even the John Morant's coming into the league this season. So so who is that sleeper uh, that we should look for maybe in the first or second round? Oh, uh, if if we're gonna go deep sleeper, kind of uh, second round. Uh, when you look at the guys who have had success jumping from college to the NBA and, and as sleepers, as guys who were unsigned free agents. Uh, let, hey, again, let's look at Toronto. This is this really is a perfect example. It's, you know, I, I choose to be a, a Raptors fan and, and Raptors-centric. Uh, but two guys that they've had that have really hit have been Terrence Davis and Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and again, were they were the they were these sleepers that everyone can kind of kind of considered them, you know, off the board. Uh, and you say like, hey, like, oh, they they found these kind of like hidden gems. But when you look at it, it was like those two guys had excellent college careers playing against NBA prospects. Uh, so it only made sense that they would go to the go to the NBA and, and be able to outplay the same guys that they outplayed over and over again in college. So um, I look at a guy at Oregon and Peyton Pritchard, this point guard who's uh, six foot one and uh, kind of a little bit of a he's he's a pest. He plays he really hounds the ball defensively. Uh, but when it comes to offense, he knows how to play an NBA style of, of kind of pick and roll after pick and roll continuity. Uh, it can really defend his position and he hits big shots. Uh, one of the skills that I always look at for a point guard uh, whenever I'm evaluating them is I need to know if they can shoot off the dribble. Uh, shooting off the dribble and shooting off the catch are just you, they're they're really treated the same in a lot of ways because people will look at a three point percentage. Uh, but when you look at players' uh, breakdown of 
what what is off the dribble versus uh, versus off the catch. Uh, they're usually drastically different, and it's just such a different uh, a different mechanism for shooters. And uh, in the NBA game, you need guards that can hit the hit off the dribble. And one of the best shooters in the draft off the bounce last year was Peyton Pritchard. So he's someone who I think will go probably late in the second. And he was one of the best guards in college basketball this year. And when you look at the last few years. Uh, players who are the best guards in college basketball, uh, they've been able to translate. And I think when you add his uh, uh, when you add his ability to shoot off the off the dribble, uh, something that Fred Van Vliet also showed that it really translates. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a guy that's a sleeper, which is is kind of funny because you know he plays at Oregon. He's a four year college player that any college basketball fan's going to know, uh, but he isn't going to be high on anyone's and uh, on anyone's mock draft yet. Uh, I think he's going to have an impact in the league. Yeah, consensus All American, All Team, All Pac twelve team. Pac-12 tournament MVP. Uh, he has the accolades, two-time uh, All-Pac-12. He has the accolades there, uh, and you actually have him in, late in the second round uh, right now. So maybe, or maybe or mid-second round rather. So you you're probably a little higher on him than uh, the most. So it'll be interesting to see where he does end up and how he does land in the NBA. Uh, there you have it. If you want to find out more about what Eric thinks about the draft, keep it locked to NBA.com. You can go there right now, read up on his big board, the top 60 players coming into the 2020 NBA draft. Uh, this is a Raptors pod table podcast, and uh, we are Canadian-centric. So I got to ask you two questions about two Canadians you would have saw play a lot since you do cover the FCC, uh, or Gators anyway, and see a lot of FCC ball. Um, first things first, you have an Andrew Nemhard, a point guard on your team, uh, the Florida Gators that you watch so closely, that has entered the draft this season. Elias Spiet from Elias Spate, rather from uh, North Pole Hoops, uh, kind of talked about him last week and some of the intangibles he brings to the table. You watch him day in, day out. What's special about Andrew Nemhard, and what can transfer over to the NBA? Um, I, I truly think he's the best passer in college basketball, and, and therefore this draft class, I, w- I would say. I don't think any, any of the any international guys would beat him out there. So uh, his ability to to use his length to create passing angles is just incredible. He's got great anticipation, which allows him to throw bounce passes in transition that uh, few, gu- few college guards can make. Uh, he can throw skip passes with either hand on, on the money. That's something that uh, that ability to pass with either hand is something you don't see from a lot of players, even in the NBA. Uh, so I think his passing ability is, is spectacular. Uh, I just wonder what kind of premium a team puts on that. And uh, once again, he's a, he is a player that struggles to score individually. Uh, so I just wonder if teams are going to even get put him in a position where he's allowed to use that passing ability. Because uh, to use that passing ability as a guard, you need to get that advantage situation. You need help to rotate over so that uh, it, it opens up lanes. Uh, so he's someone who is definitely a below-average athlete from NBA draft uh for the, for that level uh he has a really short wingspan so i, I think he has a negative wingspan I, I forget when he got measured at florida's uh, camp but uh he's certainly not very long so uh, even though he's you know six four six five he's uh, has the standing reach of uh, of a six foot two or six foot three guard realistically so so his height is a little bit misleading uh, and he's someone who's just been a very inconsistent shooter in college in his first year as a freshman he was really good as a catch and shoot shooter uh, was really poor off the dribble. And then as a sophomore, he totally flipped it. He got a little bit better as a shooter off the dribble, uh, but was a really poor catch and shoot player. So, uh, and, and he is another person where, you know, I look at his shooting stroke. Uh, it, it doesn't look great. 
Uh, I still think he's got a lot of work to do there. It's a slow release. It's a it's a low release. Uh, so yeah, I, I, he's someone who uh, I'll I'll really be interested if he were to say in the draft what what happens. I don't think he'd get his name called. I, I'd frankly be quite shocked if he did. But he's someone who I think a lot of teams would be really intrigued in, in having around the, their program, whether it's the G League or, or on a two-way or something like that, uh, because his passing ability and leadership really is special. A.J. Lawson, another Canadian that's in the SEC, went to uh, South Carolina, a guy that's entered the draft as well, who you saw a lot of. Um, what, what's your thoughts on A.J.? Is he in the same boat as uh, as Mr. Nemar? Yeah, I, I really, I really like him. Uh, every time I've heard him speak, I think he's great, and I think he's got a, a really good game for the college level. I, I just don't see it being particularly transferable to the NBA. Uh, he's someone where most of his offense comes in transition, and uh, when people talk about the evolution of the NBA game, uh, you know, there's lots of talk about you know the three point shot and 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 all that, and and how that's changed the game, and and playing with a stretch five. Something that hasn't been talked about enough or, you know, it's been talked about very little is that there's a little bit of a death of transition basketball in the NBA because teams are saying, hey, we just don't want to get beat in transition. We're just going to fall back. We're not even going to try to offensive rebound. Uh, we're going to get back and make sure that teams don't get numbers on us or or the chance to to break us down in a three on two or a four and three. So so I look at a guy like uh, like AJ Lawson. Uh, so much of his offense comes in transition, and uh, he's not a great scorer in the half court yet. So I, I just think when you're looking towards hey, what does he do at an NBA level? Uh, you look at hey, most of his offense came in, in transition. I, I don't think he's going to be able to do that at the NBA level just because. Uh, he's a he's a good athlete, solid athlete. He's got good size, solid size, but he's not a great athlete. He doesn't have elite size. It's uh, it's good and it's it's good for him, but but there's just not a, there's not one skill to me that really jumps off the page for him uh, as elite. And uh, and for that reason, I, I I think he would still be just better served staying in college and and uh, and figuring out what that one skill is that he can hold on to as as something that can can kind of get that paycheck signed. But uh, someone he that I've definitely very much enjoyed watching and has been really effective to uh, to every point uh, up till now in his basketball career. So so yeah, maybe the G League is next for him. Maybe the NBA is next for him. Good part about both AJ and uh, Andrew Nemhar, they could both return to college if they so choose. Uh, if they find out that the NBA scouts just aren't uh, happy with what they can bring to the NBA this season. Uh, there you have it, Eric Fossett on the uh, 2020 NBA draft. Again, you could go read his his big board on NBA.com right now. E-Man, really appreciate this, and uh, we'll have you back when you do drop another big board on us. Hey, that would be great. Thanks so much for having me. It was uh, so good to talk some basketball. No doubt. You can go back in the archives and listen to Elias Spate from North Pole Hoops talking about the Canadians underclassmen specifically in this draft. I know there's some seniors that we didn't get to, but they're all the underclassmen that have uh, declared for the 2020 NBA draft. We break them down uh, in last week's episode, and you could go even further back into the archives and listen to a bunch of Raptor content, as this is the Raptors Pod Table podcast. Drops every single Tuesday. If you haven't already, please rate, subscribe, and review us. It helps us out a ton, and it's totally free to do, so why not just help us out? Uh, for Eric Vosset, I am Carlin Gay. We will be back next week with a brand new edition of the Raptors Pot Table Podcast. Get that garbage out of here!